0: Good to be with you all here tonight. If, if you're new to Ruf, I am too. At least recently, I am. Uh, if you are new to Ruf, from my understanding, Ben's been going through a series that's talking about one of the main storylines of the Bible, and that is how the kingdom of God that Jesus is bringing is breaking into our world here and now. And as it does so, it touches everything and leaves nothing. Unchanged, And what we're going to be doing tonight is looking at some very familiar words that most of us have heard many times throughout our lives, and it's a prayer most commonly called the Lord's Prayer. And what often happens is we, we tend to take these words that Jesus gives us and we, we turn it into somewhat of a script and a saying or a mantra or a kind of spiritual, magical formula that we say again and again. But what I hope to show tonight is that Jesus' heart behind giving us these words is something much deeper and richer and fuller. What's happening here is not Jesus just teaching us something about technique or about words to say as we pray but what he is really doing is he is pulling us all in to a much bigger story and inviting us and really calling us to take our rightful place in this story and live fully in it and live fully out of it because what happens is we get lost We live in a world where voices are constantly clamoring for our attention saying, this is what matters. This is what you should give your heart to. This is what you should give your life to. And these words from Jesus, what they do is they cut through all of that. And it is Jesus saying, this is the way. Follow me. And so what I hope to show is that this prayer that Jesus gives us is a prayer of reorientation. It is Jesus reorienting our lives around what really matters. And so it does this in three ways. It reorients us about who we really are. It reorients us about what life is really about. And it reorients us around what we really need. In other words, it's, it's about identity, it's about purpose, and it's about provision. And it's these three that we're going to be looking at tonight. So first, identity. As you're all aware, in our current cultural moment, the topic of identity is a big source of discussion everywhere we go. It's a question of what is it that defines us? Who are we? What matters about us? How do we describe ourselves? And this prayer that Jesus gives us is meant to reorient us around who we really are or who he says we really are. And it comes here in this very first word, Father. Because we're so familiar with this prayer, there is this great risk of us just glossing over this opening part to say, let's get on to the real meat of this prayer because that's really what Jesus wants to teach us and what He wants us to dig our teeth and our lives into. But what we have to remember is that everything about this prayer and everything about a life of prayer hinges on these opening words, Our Father. It's the foundation upon which everything in our life of prayer is built. So recently my family and I took a trip to Washington, D.C., and there's so much to see and so much that we were able to see, but there was also so much that we were not able to see. And it wasn't because we didn't have the time to see it, it was just because It was places that we did not have the right or the privilege to be in. And so we went as close as we could to the White House. But what that means is that we are 100 yards away from it with this giant 15-foot fence separating us and it. And so we, as a family, are not invited into this special place of the Oval Office to share a meal or coffee with the president. But around 50 years ago, there was this famous picture that was taken in the Oval Office, and you may have seen it, and it was a a picture of John F. Kennedy sitting at his desk. So he's at at this, this giant historic desk in this historic room. He's got papers all over, he's on the phone, and what you're seeing in this picture is the most powerful person in the world busy doing the most important work in the world but what captured so many people's attention with this photograph is that at at the front of this desk there was a little door and out of this door was a little head that was popping out and it was the the face the smiling face of his two-year-old son jfk jr and what you see here is this real juxtaposition of of power and authority, and right, and might, and then there is this child who is climbing on this desk with a great smile, who has access and privilege to a place that none of us can be in. His relationship to this man working behind this desk was not just citizen of the of the United States of America. His identity was beloved son of john and as such he was able to have a kind of access and a place that was close to the father one of the ways that the the big story of the gospel can be told is that we had chosen to go our own way forfeiting our rightful place in god's family And that God is doing something incredibly powerful to change that. Many of you are familiar with the story of the prodigal son who demands an early inheritance from his father, basically communicating in that culture, I wish you were dead. His father gives him the inheritance. He goes off, he squanders everything. He wrecks his life. And then he comes to this point where he wants to come home but he doesn't know how he will be received by his father. And so he comes up with a plan and he comes up with a speech. He says, I'll go to my father and I will say to him, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just treat me as one of your hired servants. And at this point, as he comes home, the father could have responded in many different ways. He He could have responded in simply just complete rejection. In other words, you've gotten exactly what you deserve. Do not show your face here ever again. Or it could have been, hey, yeah, come back, but you have lost your rightful place as my son. You can work among these servants, but you will never ever be who you once were to me. Here's what we see. While he was still a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son tries to give his rehearsed speech, but the father cuts him off. And he says to all the servants, quickly bring the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. And they began to celebrate. There's many things happening on the cross, but one of the things that we do see on the cross is God giving a very clear message saying, this is the links that I will go to bring you back to me, to give you a place in my family. The Father is calling us home to live as His beloved sons and daughters. And the opening to this prayer that Jesus teaches us is meant to start there, to reorient us again and again and again around who we really are. Second, Jesus' prayer reorients us around what life is really about. So there's a scene in Alice in Wonderland where Alice is lost in the woods and she comes up to this mysterious Cheshire cat. And the cat looks at her and asks, where are you going? She responds, which way should I go? He says, well, that depends on where you're going. And Alice says, I don't know. And the cat responds, then it doesn't matter which way you go. Where are you going? What's life really about? As you define purpose and big questions of our existence here and and what life was made for and what you were made for, how... Do you answer those questions? After owning our identity and our place in this family, Jesus leads us to this next place of purpose, of what life is about. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as this prayer begins to take off, I want you to notice what is at the center of this prayer. And notice what is not at the center of this prayer. Your name, your kingdom, your will. Most of you have probably seen the movie Doctor Strange. If you haven't, it's the story of, it's one of the Marvel movies that has come out. It's the story of Dr. Stephen Strange. He's this world-renowned surgeon and all of his life is built upon him being the very best. His own reputation, his own life, his own little kingdom. And then this horrific car accident happens that turns his world upside down, crushes his hands, leaves him unable to practice. And so He searches the world for all different types of ways to get his hands back so he can get back to the top and and be the best and live his life. And he finds help in these unexpected places, in in these ancient mystical arts. But as, as he does, he begins to find himself in a much bigger story. It's this cosmic battle between... Good and evil in which the fate of the the world or the universe or even the whole multiverse is at stake. And there is a time where he comes to a crossroads in his life where he realizes that he can use his new powers to either heal his hands and go back to doing what he was doing and, and be the best and serve his own ends or He can fight for something that is so much bigger than his own life. And his his mentor, as she's dying, she brings his dilemma into full focus, and for us as well. She says, arrogance and fear still keep you from learning the simplest lesson of all. It's not about you. The beginning of this prayer, our Father, reminds us that we do matter greatly, more than we realize, more than we could imagine. But the rest of the prayer also reminds us it's not about you. And that's a good thing. There are many different ways you could answer the question, why is there life on earth? But one answer to the question of why there is life on earth is simply because we are not at the center. We need a source of energy that is outside of us. And to sustain life, we need to orbit around that source of energy. In order for us to live, we need to not be at the center. And what Jesus is saying here is that it is good news that God, the source of life, the source of joy, the source of freedom, goodness, truth, beauty is at the center. It's good news. It's freeing. And so we pray, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so when we pray, hallowed be your name, we're saying, God, we want you to be set apart. We want you to be the center. The center out there and the center in here. We want you to be seen for who you really are and to be taken seriously. We want you to be loved and we want you to be trusted. We want you to be worshipped and we want you to be delighted in. When we pray your kingdom come, we are praying that the restorative rule of the true king would break into our world and bring healing and hope everywhere it goes. I think about the beginning of Jesus' ministry in his own hometown of Nazareth where he, he spoke at the local synagogue and he took the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he read these words to describe what his life was going to be about. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he said to all listening, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, the one that you've been waiting for for so long is here, and the kingdom that you have been praying for has come among you, and it's coming with power. And we see this in Jesus' life portrayed in the Gospels. We see his power over sickness, we see his power over Satan. We see his power over sin. We see his power even over death. Jesus is looking at all of these enemies of humanity, of us, and he's saying, no more. Stop. I've come to defeat you. When we pray, your kingdom come, we're asking that this good news of Jesus, this good news of the kingdom would pour in, and it would go everywhere and filter through everything. When we pray these prayers, these de prayers that reorient us around what life really matters, it, it invites us into a much bigger and better story. In his book, Quest for More, Paul Tripp gives us this reminder. In a fallen world, there is a powerful pressure to constrict your life to the shape and size of your life. There's a compelling tendency to forget who you are and what you were made for, and a tendency to be short-sighted and easily distracted. A tendency to settle for less when you were made for so much more. There is something expansive, glorious and eternal that's meant to give direction to everything you do. Jesus' prayer reminds us of our identity, of who we are, but he also calls us into something much bigger. Brings us to our final point. Jesus' prayer reorients us around what we really need. And when I say we, I mean we. Our Father, give us, lead us, deliver us, forgive us. What Jesus' prayer does is it Stretches our individualistic tendencies and moves us from I to we. He stretches and pulls us from me to us. That's what we live in, that's the, the design that God has meant for our lives. And so living in this bigger kingdom reality means that others, those around you, are increasingly important to you. Loving, serving, helping, giving. And these final requests that we're going to look at are not just thrown in there randomly at the end, but they flow directly out of the previous two This is who we are, and this is what we are called to be about, but what do we need to be about this kingdom work? One of my boys loves to watch these survival shows, these extreme survival shows, where they kind of drop you out in the middle of the wilderness, and they let you select just a few basic items that you can take with you, and it's always interesting to see the creativity of what people put in their survival kits. And and it's obviously what are some of the things that they leave out. They are trying to survive the longest, and so everything that they put in their survival kit is strategically selected to help them accomplish their mission. Many good things will be left out. These, These final requests of Jesus are him saying to us, I know you have so much on your mind. I know there's so much going on in your life. I know you have so many choices. I know so many desires. Your heart wants so many things, and many of those are good and life-giving, but there are some things that you need more than anything. And I want to to train you and give words that you might ask for those things again and again and again. And they're so basic. They're not flashy. And so we tend to overlook them and jump to other things that our hearts want. But Jesus is pulling us back in. Give us each day our daily bread. Give us what we need today. Food, shelter, health life give us what we need to know your great love give us what we need to love others to have compassion to not judge to forgive give us what we need to live for you to be single hearted in all that we do give us what we need to be about the work of your kingdom Lead us not into temptation. We are easily pulled away from you. We're easily pulled away from what's good. We easily fall into angerness, bitterness, pride, jealousy, lust, laziness, despair. We're we're drawn to the very things that, that promise life, but that take it away from us and that lead to death. This prayer says, lead us in a better way. We are easily deceived. We're easily tricked. Show us the way of life and help us to walk in it. Deliver us from evil. We wake up every morning into a war that is raging, even if we cannot see it and the stakes are very high. And we face an enemy that is beyond our strength and ability to fight. Shield us, protect us, help us, deliver us, keep us safely yours, and forgive our debts. Because at the end of the day, we know our hearts. We know what we've done. As the old confession goes, we've not loved you with our whole heart. We've not loved our neighbor as ourselves. Take away our guilt. Take away our shame that weighs on us so heavily and lift that. Remind us of who we are to you. But don't miss this, and I'm going to close with this. At their heart, these prayers reorient us around Jesus. They lead us back to him, and they keep us close to him. To his life, his death, his resurrection. They they recenter us on a great savior who is the true bread that gives life who says i am the bread of life whoever comes to me will never go hungry whoever believes in me will never thirst they recenter us on the great savior who is the true king who conquers evil on our behalf john 10:10 10, 10, jesus says the thief comes to steal to kill, to destroy, but I have come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly or to the full. And they center us on the great Savior who purchased all of this with His own life. One of His closest disciples would later write these words, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and gave his life as a sacrifice for our sins. So that Jesus might look at us and say, take heart, your sins are forgiven. Who are you? What is life really about? What do you really need? Jesus is inviting you, all of us, into a much bigger and better story. The reality of his kingdom. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread.